working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, which is hosted by the Spiegel Law Firm, where we represent people who've been fired or afraid they might be, and we have a specialization in representing women who have been fired because they are pregnant. I am the host, Tom Spiegel, and this, today we are going to be talking to somebody I'm thrilled to have on the show, Dr. Michael Bruce. And you can find him at the, I don't even try to do a, a full introduction because it would not do you justice, but you can find him <laughs> at thesleepdoctor.com. He is all over YouTube. He is on the Dr. Oz show quite frequently. I believe, I believe you're on the advisory board. Yep. And this, just the, the bottom basement thing, he's a clinical psychologist and a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So, Dr. Bruce, I will turn it over to you to give yourself any other introduction that you want, <laughs> uh, and we'll go from there. I'm just happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to questions and hopefully answering some questions for some parents out there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I would recommend that folks go to go to your website. It's a wealth of information, and we'll be putting that in the in the show notes. I noticed you even have a whole a whole separate section about sleep issues and, and work. I do. Which would be helpful. You know, so one of the things that we want to talk about today, you know, because our audience are folks who are you know, trying to excel at work, even though they've got young kids at home, is what do you say to folks who are, you know, they've got a new baby at home. They're just, it's, they're, you just, you can't do all the things that you should do to have a healthy sleep environment. They're going to wake up. They're, you're going to have that sleep deprivation. What recommendation would you have for people to, in that short-term period, to try to minimize the effects that <laughs> deprivation has? I'm sure you have a magic pill that you can recommend, right? Isn't that why you're here? Wouldn't that be fantastic? If I had the sleep replacement pill, I think I would be the wealthiest man in the universe. Right, right, Exactly. Um, Unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to work that way. But the truth of the matter is, it's tough, right? And so it's tougher when it's a first child as opposed to, you know, your second or your third, because the first one, there's just so much user error. You just don't know what you're doing and you think everything's a problem. And then by the second one, you start to kind of get it down and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. You know, I can figure this out, that kind of stuff. So first of all, it depends on if you're a new parent or you know, I've already been a parent. But what I oftentimes am talking to my parents about is sleeping in shifts. So mm -hmm. sometimes one person, like sometimes in couples, one person has a proclivity for being a morning person, the other person has a proclivity for being a night person. And so you can kind of split the shift up that way, especially if you have a colicky baby or a baby that just isn't sleeping particularly well, that can be helpful, especially during the very early two to three months. It's really hard to sleep train a child earlier yeah. than about three months. It just gets very difficult. They're not really, they haven't developed enough to really kind of understand a lot of what they need to be doing, although they are at those, at those ages sleeping quite a bit, sometimes in excess of 18 hours a day it still can be kind of difficult to sort of figure it all out. So for, for most parents, I like to do the shift methodology. Now, sometimes the shift could be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and sometimes the shift could be, I'll, I'll do the early shift. You do the late shift. Either one, when there's at least two parents involved can actually be very helpful because while one person is covering, the other person is sleeping. Once you kind of get into the 
probably the third or fourth month, that's when a formal sleep training is is probably advised. You want to get the baby out of your bed, number one, because they just kind of like it in there because it's comfy and cozy. And you might like it because if you're breastfeeding or if you're involved with the child in the middle of the night, it makes it easy. But if the child becomes too complacent and likes where they are, which generally they will because they're lying next to mom and mom smells really good, every time you move them, they're going to start crying. So being able to get them into a bassinet uh, while sitting in the bed and then eventually move that bassinet away from the bed and then move it out of the room is usually going to be important. And uh, my actual favorite sleep training book out there for for new parents is a book called Baby Wise. This is the methodology that we use with our children and uh, it worked like a charm. It's an eat, sleep, play program, but it's very effective. Baby Wise. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. What do you, for, for a, you know, for that first three months when there's only so much that you can do to control their, you know, to do sleep training and that sort of thing, are there any, like, I know, other than the magic, the elixir, caffeine, and coffee, right. you know you're going to be, you're going to be sleep deprived and you've got something coming up at work. I mean, are, is there anything you can do in the short term? For example, like, you know, and I know nothing about this, but I've heard about it, you know, phasic sleeping or is, right. you know, what can you do just even short term, just as a band-aid besides the caffeine, obviously, to keep it The key factor is to sleep when the baby sleeps, right? And so you don't need to do the dishes. You don't need to worry about cleaning the house. You don't need to be running errands. If you have a baby that doesn't sleep well at night and it's affecting your sleep as a parent, then the most critical thing that you can do is to get rest when the baby rests. That usually works out extremely well for for most parents. Do parents do caffeine? Of course they do. You got to be careful though, because over the course of time, caffeine becomes less and less effective and you require more and more of it to actually be able to help you out. So I tell people all the time, you know, you kind of need to be lean and mean with your caffeine, meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, six ounces every three hours is going to do you a lot more good than a big gulp, you know, of 25, 30 ounces you know, once in the morning type of thing. So maybe a little caffeine sprinkled throughout the day along with some naps. Now I do have a technique that I teach parents and actually Fortune 100 CEOs all the time. I call it the Napa Latte. So check this out. What you do is you go and you get a cup of drip coffee, which has got the highest caffeine content. You put three or four ice cubes in it just to cool it down. You drink the entire thing as quick as you can and then you close your eyes immediately and take a 25 minute nap. What ends up happening is you get enough stage one, stage two sleep to slow down that sleepy feeling. The caffeine actually fits into those receptor sites quite nicely. You're good for four hours guaranteed. Wow. And you about six ounces. Is that what you recommend? Yeah, about six ounces. But it's got to be drip coffee because that's got the highest caffeine content. And you don't want to add a lot of sugar or cream or anything like that. Just cool it down. Drink it black if you can. Yeah, you're not doing the you don't want to do the Frappuccino. No, that's not going to do you any good. It's just a solid cup of coffee. Pound it. Close your eyes. Wake up 20 minutes later. You will feel better. Okay. Well, that's great to know. Is that sort of the ideal? Like if you're, if you are caffeine aside, if you are Mm -hmm. napping to try to fill in the, you know, the gaps, is 20 minutes good? If you got longer, should you go longer? What's, if you're napping, what's the ideal? So generally speaking, people got to be careful because if you sleep more than about 25 minutes, you you have a tendency to get into REM sleep. And when you get into REM sleep, that can make it very difficult to wake up. Or if you get into stage three, four sleep, that can make it very difficult to wake up. I'm sure there are listeners out there who would say, oh, gosh, I took a nap and I felt worse, not better. Yeah. 
that's because you nap too long. 25 minutes is really a good cutoff or 90 minutes. So 90 minutes is a full sleep cycle and that can be advantageous as well. Okay. So maybe if you're, you know, you know that you know, the baby doesn't sleep well, for whatever reason, you're not going to get a full night's sleep, even if you can get either in a couple of 20 minute or maybe a 90 minute nap, that's right. going to fill in those gaps. Okay. Absolutely. At what point do you start, does a human being start to experience performance problems, mental performance problems because of lack of sleep? Like what's a, how long can you go, you know, like if I've got, if I got a, if I'm a lawyer and I've got a trial that's lasting, lasting three days, what, what that, six hours? What, how much do I need to make it through those three days before my, I start misfiring because I'm not sleeping? Well, it's going to be different per individual, only from the standpoint of different people need different amounts of sleep. So eight hours is really a myth. As an example, I've been a sleep specialist for my entire career. I never get more than six and a half to seven hours of sleep per night. And I've been that way my whole adult life. But my wife, she needs eight and a half hours. And so if she got six and a half, she would be sleep deprived. If I get six and a half, I'm right on the money. So it's going to be variable from for person to person. But generally speaking, let's say we use, just to make the math simple, seven hours as your you know amount of sleep that you need. Well, if you get probably 20% less than that, for any significant period of time, two or three days, you're going to start to see performance decrements. And it, and it happens. It, it's interesting. It starts to happen. It depends upon the type of sleep that you miss. But a lot of times it really happens on the cognitive side. So decision making, memory, moodiness, things like that seem to be affected before reaction time does. But again, that can also depend upon the person and the job and things like that. Got it. And if you go through a period like that, as I think all new parents at some point do, where you're just missing a lot of sleep, uh, you know you're kind of in a sleep deficit. What is, because you're experiencing, I think we probably all have the moodiness and you're snapping at people and you're making dumb decisions. What is the best way to climb out of that? Well, honestly, the best way is to get some sleep. Yeah. There's really not, uh, you know, I wish I could say that there was a replacement you know, for that lost sleep. I'm not saying that you have to get minute for minute, you know, return, but you definitely need to allow yourself to get a little bit of extra sleep. Sometimes that means going to bed maybe a half an hour earlier or, and or keeping a very consistent wake up time um, so that your body knows when to sleep. Let's say, you know, you're a professional, you've got a young child, you go through a period of four days where you're just, you're getting you know, half the sleep that you really need. And then whatever that period ends or the trial is done, the presentation is. How do you catch up? Yeah. Is it because my understanding, you're the expert, but I think I heard it from you. Like you can't really like binge sleeping is not really. Yeah. Binge sleeping doesn't really work. Adding a half an hour to your sleep each night for a week, it's certainly going to be helpful. But the more consistent your schedule is, the more your body will start to kind of absorb that sleep debt because it knows when to sleep and it knows what it's looking for. So I would say having very good consistency in your sleep and maybe getting a half an hour more. I wouldn't go more than a half an hour more because then it could throw off your circadian rhythms pretty, pretty significantly. And is there, what if you know, like you, let's say you're lucky enough that your child wakes up at the same, and sometimes they do, you know, wakes up at the same time every night, let's say two in the morning. Is it effective to, like if you need, let's say you need seven hours to get, can you train yourself to do three and a half and three and a half and you're up at 2 a.m., you know, for the hour feeding and assuming you have a flexible schedule? Does that work? It can actually for a short period of time. 
You can't do it for years, but you could probably do that for six months and get away with it. As long as you're constantly kind of watching yourself and seeing, hey, you know, am I too tired to drive? You know, am I making good decisions? That kind of stuff. Got it. So you, what you really want to do is make sure that you're safe, you know, and then once that kind of gets passed, then you can definitely break up your sleep in the middle of the night. Well, what do you or do you have any recommendations for does you know, as a if you're, you're married does sleeping separately sometimes help? Um, I've heard, I think, mm-hmm. anecdotally that it does. You ever recommend that? Like, hey, get separate beds for a while? Well, so there's two reasons why people sleep separately. One is because one bed partner is disruptive to the other vis-a-vis snoring or movement or uh, insomnia. And the other is a child that's wandering in for one of the parents. If the case is that you've got two bedrooms and one person doesn't mind having the child in there and the other, and it's really disruptive for the other one, then sure, it may make sense to do that. But generally speaking, you have to be careful because what you don't want is you don't want that to have an effect on overall levels of intimacy. Right. So that's always something that you need to kind of think through as well. Yeah. Uh, and the, the kind of last bit of questions here I have for you are what kind of sleep problems do you see people develop because of the disruptions they have mm-hmm. because they have children? I'll give you myself as an example. Like I, okay. I just, but my kids sleep trained me because, you know, now I wake up like in the middle of the night, like I will, you know, have no problem falling asleep. I like, and this, I never had this problem before kids, you know, like at two o'clock in the morning, I'm there staring at the ceiling. And, and certainly if, I, if one of the kids wakes me up, which happens, frankly, knock on wood, much less now than it did, I, you know, I just can't, I can't go back to sleep. Is that common? What is that? What kind of things does, does a parent need to be on the lookout for? Like what kind of problems do you see people develop like that are, you know, you know, tracing it back to that damn kid, you know, like, like what kind of insomnia problems develop because of those kind of midnight interruptions? Sure, sure. So I call this mommy somnia, right? And so I've rarely met a woman, and I'm not trying to be sexist here, that this can happen with men as well, who sleeps the same after their child is born. I, I can tell you that since the day my son was born, which was our first child, I, I don't think I've ever actually slept the same. There is just a radar that goes off, and that's just part of being a parent. And sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. Depends upon how old your child is. Right now I've got teenage children. So, you know, the concern is it's the weekend. Where are the kids and what are they doing? And could they be getting in trouble and those kinds of things? So I think the Yeah, exactly. I think those situations are always going to come up. The the key for parents is consistency, right? And so if you feel like your sleep is disrupted and it's secondary to your children, then you've got to figure out once you can get the children settled and sleeping, then you need to work on your own sleep routine. And it's really about consistency and being strict. So it's about waking up at the same time every day, no matter what. It's about going to bed at roughly the same time every day, if you can. It's about limiting caffeine in the evenings. It's about limiting alcohol in the evenings. All the things that are classic disruptors, parents, once they've got their kids sleeping, they need to sort of look at their own sleep routine and see if they can get their own sleep back on schedule before they start doing things like travel or having glasses of wine late at night and things like that. So for caffeine, uh-huh. when, do you, when should you stop drinking it during the day? Yeah. So generally speaking, I'd like, if I can, I'd like to give parents like five steps on how to get their sleep back together, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be perfect. So step one is to keep a consistent wake up time, even on the weekends. 
And I know that stinks for a lot of people because you might want to stay up late Friday or stay up late Saturday, but even th- that consistency on the weekends is really very critical. Uh, step number two is to limit caffeine by 2 p.m. So most people don't know, but caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. And so by stopping caffeine around two, uh, at least half of it is out of your system by 10, which is kind of the average time that most people are going to sleep. Step number three has to do with alcohol. And I ask people to stop drinking alcohol approximately three hours before bed. The reason I choose three hours is most people have two or three drinks, takes the average human body approximately one hour per alcoholic beverage to digest those alcoholic beverages. So in those instances, I'm oftentimes telling people, hey, you know, if you can just stop about three hours before lights out, that'll give you enough time to get to sleep without alcohol being an influence. Remember, there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right? Yeah. And we, we don't want to be the passing outside. We want to be on the go to sleep side. Yeah. Another really key way to improve your overall sleep quality is exercise. The data is very consistent that 20 minutes of daily exercise, even if it's just walking the dog, can be incredibly helpful for your overall sleep patterns. But you don't want to exercise right before bed. Give yourself about three to four hours before bed because you don't want to kind of get all revved up. And then the last one is when you wake up in the morning, get 15 minutes of sunlight every day. 15 minutes of sunlight helps reset your internal circadian clock and turn off the melatonin faucet in your brain. And that's really where you're going to see the the ability to wake up and kind of get rid of that morning fog. Yeah. What do you think? And I think I heard you recommend one time, if I don't, if, if I recall, but the the blue light, like for those people, those uh-huh. you know, for those times, you you know, you've got to go straight from bed to the car, you know, to the to the fluorescent lit office with no right. You know, do those work? And what do you recommend? So I so there are actually there's now lighting that's created for increased productivity. Um, and what we, what's called biological lighting. So there's a lot of different lighting solutions that are out there for wake up. Um, I actually, there's a, there's a company called lighting science group and they actually make specialty bulbs. So in my children's room, as an example, I have special bulbs that filter out the blue light so that if my son wants to read a book, he doesn't have a light, uh, a lamp by his bed. That's keeping him awake. He's got a lamp by his bed that's providing light, but isn't, doesn't have that blue light spectrum. And then in his bathroom, I have lights that actually have increased blue light spectrum to help wake him up. So I'm kind of using light in two different rooms in two different ways to be able to help my son wake up in the mornings. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, let me ask you one final question before we let you let you sign off. It's been very helpful. So this is my weakness. Ice cream. That's my weakness, too. Yeah. So what's the deal? Can I eat ice cream before, you know, late at night or do I need to cut that out? Well, here's the thing is eating carbohydrates uh, immediately before bed actually has been shown to help with sleep, but you need to keep it to about 250 to 300 calories. So pick your ice cream wisely. I know there are some kind of new ones on the market these days. I personally like the Halo Top because it's a fairly low calorie, but still tasty frozen ice cream kind of treat. But I'm, I'm with you, brother. I'm pretty much convinced that ice cream is the perfect food. I think that's right. Especially about, you know, 930 at night, the kids are down, you know, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to our parents. Any other, anything I've missed or any other words in parting or did we cover the bases here? I think we covered a lot of the bases, but, you know, parents just need to remember it's okay to sleep in shifts. You don't have to worry about other things that are going on, especially with a newborn. You really just want to be able to concentrate on the on the baby. Number one. Number two, if you can help it, try not to put the baby in the bed, because once you start a pro- once you start that issue, it can become a problem for quite a period of time. 
for people with older children, like past three months, BabyWise, again, is probably the best system out there that I've found. However, if parents find that they have children with a sleep problem, um, there is a book called Solve Your Child's Sleep Problems by Dr. Richard Ferber. It's been out for 15 years, and it's one of the best books I've ever seen. And so the two books that I tell all parents they need to grab is BabyWise and Solve Your Child's Sleep Problems. Between those two, you should be well-armed to be able to, to handle anything that comes down the pipe. That's great. Then I've actually lied. I have one question that reminded me of. Uh-huh. And let's say for either one, either your children or for the parent, at what point do they need to seek professional help if they're having sleep problems from somebody like you? And if they do, where do they go to find that? Sure. So for kid, for children's sleep, the best place is to contact a children's hospital. Almost every children's hospital in the country actually has a sleep laboratory there. The times that you're worried about kids is, as an example, if you hear them snoring or difficulty breathing at night, the big concern there is sleep apnea. Something like narcolepsy doesn't ever doesn't really show up until kids are 13, 14, 15. So it's not something I worry about with small children. The biggest one is getting children to go to bed and stay in their bed. And that's what the uh, Solve Your Child Sleep Problems does pretty well. There are parents, though, that have kids that have something called night terrors, where the child will sit up in the middle of the night and just scream their head off and then fall back asleep. Freaks everybody out, but the kid has no idea what's going on. That's something, unfortunately, that you just have to ride out. There is uh, one treatment for that that actually worked with my daughter who had night terrors. Um, and that's where about 45 minutes after the child has gone to sleep, you wake them up, ask them two or three questions so that they have to actually kind of use their brain and then put them back to sleep. We don't know why, but for some reason that seems to stop or at least control night terrors quite nicely. Uh, that's, you know, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Our our uh, first daughter has, you know, still much less now, but has night terrors. And, it, and we didn't know the first one, it was like, is she possessed? Like what's right. going on? You know, until we like read about it and realized it was an actual thing. And we find for, you know, for whatever reason, for our daughter, if she's overheated, like if she, like she wears like, like like these footed pajamas, like, I don't know what it is about the temperature, but if she, you know, insists on wearing those footed pajamas, we got to take one of the blankets off for her because for whatever reason, that seems to be the trigger for her. But, but that's it. I'm glad you brought that up because any parent that's listening, just, you know, put that on your radar screen. If your child does wake up in the middle of the night and seems like they're doing an exorcist audition. <laughs> right. Because it is freaky. You know, it is freaky. Um, oh, yeah. It's what, weird for sure. What about an adult? Like if you so when at what point does an adult need to seek, seek professional help and where does he or she do that? So um, the best thing to do is to go to an accredited sleep center. The way to find an accredited sleep center is there's a website, sleepcenters.org. And you just punch in your zip code and it'll tell you about an accredited center near you. So that's how you find it. The way you know about it is if you if you snore or somebody has heard you stop breathing in your sleep, that would be a cause to speak with your physician. If you're if you get what you think is the right amount of sleep for you, six, seven, eight hours, and you're still exhausted during the day, then um, I would say that that's the time to talk with your doctor about it. You know, what you're really looking for is quality sleep issues or quantity sleep issues. Um, insomnia is treated very different than apnea. So for people who are exhausted because they're not getting enough sleep, some doctors might consider pharmaceuticals. Some doctors might consider something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which does not require pharmaceutical intervention. Some people might want to use supplements. Whereas for sleep apnea, that's something that has to be tested 
either in the home or in a laboratory. And then different, uh, there are different treatment modalities. There's something called the CPAP machine, which helps you breathe at night. There's something called an oral appliance, which is a mouth guard that can help you breathe a little bit better. And then, of course, there's surgery, but that's usually a last resort. Got it. Well, this has been this has been fantastic. A uh, wealth of resources, and, and I, I would recommend people go check out your website. Um, I had website envy after I saw it. You have so much, <laughs> so much good stuff up there. So many good videos, and uh, you know your own eBooks and and your own books that you've written, and it really is yeah. fantastic. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's certainly a lot of fun. We enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. All right. Well, we will let you sign off, and thanks again for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.